Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. And as always, I'm joined by Kobus Fenstaden of Witz University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, this uh, was a monumental week in the China-Africa relationship, the launch of the new standard gauge railway. And for as long as you and I have been doing the China-Africa project, we've been hearing about this grand railway project that has been long in development in Kenya and now is actually uh, up and ready and it's operational. It's a very exciting time for Kenya because it's really the first major piece of modern infrastructure that the country's had uh, on a scale like this. In fact, they haven't had a railroad like this for 100 years since, uh, since the British were, were occupying uh, Kenya. So in that way, it was a very exciting day. But there's a lot of concern that came with the launch of this railway, mostly in the form of the $3.25 billion price tag. And it really prompted a lot of people to wonder whether or not this amount of money was worth it. It brought back uh, fears from the 1980s um, when when Africa was hit by a massive debt crisis, which led in the end to the restructuring, the forced restructuring of a lot of African economies and a lot of suffering in Africa in, in the process. So a lot of people are now wondering how Africa's, Africa is going to avoid this, a similar crisis in the future. And let me give a little bit of context to that. Across the continent, uh, external debt has increased by almost 50% to $416 billion. And that's from a period of 2010 to 2015. This is data from the World Bank. The uh, median government gross-to-debt GDP ratio is now at almost 50%, 48%. And that is 10 percentage point higher than it was in 2014. Again, World Bank data there. And what's changed in the past few years here is the shift from concessional lending and to non-concessional corporate lending. And so the share of concessional lending to Africa declined from 42.4% to 36% from 2001 to 2013. Non-concessional debt from a variety of commercial lenders and international bond markets rose $2.4 billion, uh, again, from 2010 to 2015. A lot of data there, but the headline is debt levels, as Cobus indicated, are rising significantly. A lot of it is for infrastructure. But the concern is that can Africa, and particularly commodity exporting countries in Africa, repay this debt, particularly when it's owned by one country? So we thought we would get a very interesting perspective on this because it's a topic that we've been talking about over on my LinkedIn page, on our Facebook page. And Ansetsi Ware is an international development economist based in Nairobi. She's also a weekly columnist for the business newspaper Business Daily in Kenya. And she has a lot of ideas and thinks a lot about these very issues. And so we are thrilled to have you back on the show again. Thank you, Ansetsi, for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, so this question about debt, it's one that a lot of people are worried about. People are also very excited about the new infrastructure that China is bringing. Uh, but right. the debt levels are coming back. I think you are old enough to remember the, the dark days of the 1980s and 1990s when Africa was drowning in debt. And we got out of it yeah. for a period after restructuring by the IMF and the World Bank. But now it appears that those debt levels are rising again. Are you as worried as some people are at the World Bank? Well, I think we need to be aware of a couple of issues as we get into this conversation about debt. I think, first of all, We need to remember that when a lot of the African countries were getting into debt, it was during a commodities boom. So when they were forecasting their revenue generation from commodities, 
it was a very sort of positive and optimistic um, place to be in. And so, particularly if you look at Ga- countries like Ghana, they 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 price their debt best based on future revenues on the commodities they'd be selling. So then comes the commodities number, the commodities decline, and then you find a lot of African countries unable to meet the debt restructure or the debt payments um, that they've been obligated to. And, and then find themselves in a situation where they're not generating as much forex as they wanted to, to, to pay up that debt. Now, in that context, you have to remember that East Africa is in, a pretty, is in a pretty good space in that we were never really exposed to the commodities boom or the commodities decline. So in one sense, when the commodities boom was going on and there was a lot of optimism around African debt and African economies, um, East African countries took that opportunity to start getting into more debt. However, we did that knowing that we were not reliant on a commodity boom. We did that knowing that we had to develop other ways of paying off that debt. So in that sense, we're a bit better off as an East African region to some of the other African areas where there were commodity reliance and pegged their debt payments on that. That said, if you look at um, Kenya, for example, our debt has about doubled in nominal terms um, over the past five years under the, the Uhuru Kenyatta government. Uh, and, that, and that appetite for debt is problematic and concerning because of the rate at which it's growing. If you look at the debt-to-GDP ratio in Kenya, we're at about 53% um, debt-to-GDP ratio. Now, there, there, there are differing views as to whether that is sustainable or not. But beyond the question of sustainability, the, 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 the bigger concern is the rate at which we're accruing that debt, particularly because our revenue generation capacity is not meeting our expenditure levels or our ability to service debt. Um, and this is the calculus made by by the Kenyan government that the the new infrastructure is gonna is gonna boost the country's earning capacity among others because it's it's so it's gonna be in the future integrated with the rest of the region and that will then actually offset the new debt that's being taken on. Well, of course, uh, the Kenyan government is of the view that there is a multiplier effect to infrastructure development. That's why a lot of our um, annual budgets have been very heavy on infrastructure. Um, And on one hand, you know, people are arguing that, well, Kenya needed this infrastructure investment and one government just had to take it on and just get it done. On the other hand, people are concerned with the patterns of infrastructure development in the country. If you even look at the SGR route and the way SGR is being developed, it seems to be hearkening back to the colonial era centered around getting goods from inland Kenya into the port for export. Um, what we're not seeing is a concurrent effort um, with the Kenyan government to diversify our economic base, in particular to, to start revving up the industrialization of the country. There is an industrialization strategy in place by government, but the implementation has been weak. So one of the concerns we're having is, how are we going to produce the economic growth and the capital required to service the infrastructure that we're getting into when we're not doing a fundamental restructuring of our economy? Okay. Can you answer that question? Well, you know, I mean, the, the concern I'm having is, is really twofold. On one hand, we, you know, if you look at our forex earners, and of course, when you're looking at debt payments to China... We, we need to generate forex for that. And um, the good news is that our tourism is really rebounding and we're really beginning to recover from a lot of the tribal advisories, a lot of the terrorist activities from Somalia that really decimated our, our tourism sector. So on that end, we are starting to generate healthier forex from tourism. At the same time, one of our biggest forex earners is, is black tea. We're one of the top exporters in the world 
of black tea, and it's a significant forex um, uh, earner for the country. Now, if you didn't know, our country has been going through a dot for about a year now, about a year and a half now. And um, tea um, generation has been decimated by about a third. We're producing about a third less than we should be producing. So the volumes of tea that we had wanted to generate the forex to service some of these debts we're getting into just won't be forthcoming. Now, bear in mind that, you know, even though we're not getting the volumes of tea, it may be mitigated by an increase in the price of tea per kilo. But there is this overall uh, concern that we're not generating the type of forex that we need to to pay off these, these foreign debts. And secondly, because oil prices are recovering, a lot of our forex is now going back into our dependence on oil. Um, speaking about oil, Kenya, if I remember correctly, recently started exporting oil in, in relatively small batches, which then immediately went to India and to China. Um, and it's also sitting on this corridor, this kind of new like, corridor that's starting to be developed all the way from uh, along the, the coast of East Africa down to Mozambique of a lot of, of new um, you, you know, kind of um, new finds of natural gas and, and, and other kind of hydro, hydrocarbons. Um, like, how do you foresee the oil economy affecting Kenya in, in the future? Well, I think we're lucky in that we are getting into oil when our economy is quite diversified. If you look at the thrust of our economy, we're a services-led economy in terms of GDP contribution. In, of course, in terms of employment, we're still very much agricultural. But if you look at What's contributing to GDP? We're services driven. We're not we're not commodity reliant in any way. So we're lucky in that we've had you know about 20, 30 years of looking at the way um, um, commodity reliance has affected other African countries um, negatively. We're very aware of the resource curse that often comes up with African and com African countries and commodities, and we're aware of the Dutch disease dynamic that 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 can affect that can affect economies. So in that sense, the way we're trying to structure our policy around commodities is a bit more informed than when a lot of these countries found that they had all these assets um, and started exploiting them in a very disorganized manner. That said, I think the oil economy will inform the, 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 the nature of the articulation of the growth of our economy. Um, um, we're not very clear on sort of the, 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 the redistribution intentions of government in terms of oil revenues. There has been tension between um, areas of the country that have a lot of a lot of um, commodities and the national government with concerns to how the income from those assets will be redistributed, particularly to the local indigenous communities. And I think another concern will be how it's going to inform the pricing of real estate. I think uh, one of the biggest things that I think the, the oil money is going to do in this country is really continue to inflate real estate prices, which has a knock-on effect on investments and how attractive Kenya is as, a, as an investment destination if land is so expensive, you know, particularly if we're trying to get into this um, drive for industrialization, which is land asset heavy, where you need quite large tracts of land to get infrastructure up and running, I mean, uh, industrialization rather, up and running. Um, if we're going to get oil um, economy feeding into the inflation of real estate, um, how is that going to inform the attractiveness of Kenya as an investment investment destination when a very basic commodity like land is, quite frankly, people feel it's, it's overpriced. Sure. Let's bring the conversation back around uh, to the Chinese, and it's particularly relevant in Kenya, but also in Ghana, as you pointed out. Uh, Kenya now owes somewhere in the neighborhood of about $4.5 billion to the Chinese, and that takes up about 57% of the country's total external debt. And what's interesting over the past, say, you know, six to seven years from 2010 
Uh, Chinese loans to Kenya have grown at an annual rate of about 54%. Uh, meanwhile, loans from other lenders like Japan and France and, uh, and other traditional lenders, if you will, uh, have gone down in that same period. So let me play the devil's advocate to you. Um, you know, l- money, particularly in Africa, is hard to come by on the international markets. A lot of the traditional financing that countries here in Asia get, uh, the debt markets are more than happy to to fund them. Uh, the bond markets are, are eager to get involved in countries like Vietnam and China and, el- and elsewhere. But Africa is cut off in many ways. So the choices for accessing capital uh, are not that rich. And I'm just wondering... Can beggars be choosers? And what I mean by that is, if you don't have a lot of choices on where to go get capital to build out your economy, and China is willing to sign a checkbook, is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, there are two sides to that. On one hand, we need the money. I mean, as you're already articulating, we we, we need the money to build our infrastructure. But I think what government is not doing is being creative in how they're getting that financing. I think we have under-leveraged public-private partnerships and really getting quite aggressive in how we structure public-private partnerships in a manner that's attractive, both at the national count, national level of government as, as well as the as well as the county level of government. And I think another concern, sort of more broadly, that informs this beggars cannot be chosen is because a lot of these debtors are seeing that our revenue generation capacity is under par. Um, if you look at the targets that the Kenya Revenue Authority is given for domestic revenue generation, they have not hit the targets for a couple of years now. Um, and, and, and that is part of the structural features of the economy that I think dampen um, people from, from attracting themselves to, to countries such as Kenya. You know, we have a very large informal economy that is largely not taxed. Um, so when it comes to government trying to get revenue generation, even in Kenya shilling terms, to try and service some of our costs, it becomes a problem. On the other hand, you have to bear in mind that countries like China are not obsessed about the economic um, rationale of this too much. They are willing to take a short to medium term loss if it's going to expand their economic um, reach in the long term. And also we need to start understanding that in the context of an insular USA led by Trump, China is very happy to start being seen as this benevolent um, sort of do-gooder on the African continent and sort of starting to really, really pull into the soft power capacity that I think it hasn't really leveraged in the past. Tobis, let me bring an issue to you right now on this soft power uh, issue that, that Nsetsi brings up here because I know this is a topic you think about quite a bit. Let's say, for example, that Kenya starts to, to, to suffocate under the pile of Chinese debt. Imagine the optics for the Chinese who have loaded up a number of African countries with massive amounts of debt. And the idea that they start collapsing under the weight of the debt, something that Deborah Braudigam, a professor at Johns Hopkins University, points out is that the Chinese have not been very forgiving in the, in debt over the past 15, 20 years. Uh, they've given up uh, other things, but they've actually collected all the loans that they are owed. What does it look like if China has come to be seen as this kind of banker that is unforgiving and is crushing these economies that are increasingly fragile based on low commodity prices and an inability, as Nsetsi points out, of generating the necessary revenue and foreign currency to pay back a lot of these debts, which oftentimes are in dollars or now in yuan. So talk about the soft power optics of what this looks like five, ten years from now if these African countries who are now so indebted to China can't pay it back. 
Well, you know, as you, as you pointed out, um, we we're in we're in early days um, in terms of this, in you know, in in the way that that it is will be imaged. Um, at the moment, China is in the the happy, benevolent Santa Claus part of that of that story. Um, but of course, you know, as as we know, there's there's this kind of dark counter narrative that that underlies China-Africa relations. You know, the idea that China is a new overlord, is a new colonizer. Um, and that those there's a dual narrative that goes that that's running all the time the kind of dark one and then you know benevolent China south south you know kind of uh, globalization win win development etc um, so you know we one might see in the first place the darker narrative taking over in the second place what I think is going to be very interesting is to see what will happen with domestic politics. Um, in response to that, because the Kenyatta government in, in Kenya and also the Zuma government in South Africa, they're both very, very close to China. You know, so, so there's been a lot of photo opportunities, um, you know, Xi Jinping, with Xi Jinping in Beijing. There's a lot of, um, you know, very friendly meetings. Um, China came out in support, uh, you know, against against the International Criminal Court um, you know, with Kenya. So once that flips and China starts turning into into a, a kind of a darker presence because of debt, then it's going to have a domestic political fallout as well, um, which I think will be very interesting to watch. Um, and let's say, okay. like, in, what what is what is the the kind of dis, the national discussion in Kenya around this issue? Do you, like like how how is it being discussed there? Well, I think we, there are two things we need to be aware of. I think first of all, we need to be aware of the fact that the Chinese, by nature, are very opaque. So it's really a very closed door session and we sort of get the bits and pieces that government wants to tell us on on whatever China has decided to whatever deals have been made on the China. So it's just sort of almost a cold war, closed closed door a conversation between governments and then the citizens just sort of have to wait to see what whatever bits and pieces were told by, by those governments. But I think going to the soft power issue, China is not going to get away with this very easily. I think because China is trying to position itself, and in this context, they're sort of trying to, they're, rival, they're being rivaled by Germany. But China is really trying to position itself as a global leader. It's trying to position itself as a global leader, both economically, socially, and even politically, not notwithstanding the language barriers that are there. So even though it's got this very sort of dark side of a lot of debt that is accruing across the African continent, there will be a lot of pushback, even from northern countries in Europe and North America, around what does it mean to be a global leader. You need to do things like forgive debt. You need to do things like have more generous aid packages. You need to stop linking your debt to contracting to your own country. So there will be a wider conversation generated as China tries to get back its money around, well, can we call China a global leader when it's essentially behaving in a very selfish manner? So I think they're entering territory that they're not used to being in. And if they're going to position themselves as a global leader in the context of an insular Trump America, they're going to have to relook at some of this debt collection um, impetus that they're beginning to have. And they're going to start saying, they're going to start being asked that, well, you are really over leveraging African countries knowingly. And so if you were doing that knowingly, then the, perhaps the onus is on you to really look at why you allowed that debt to happen. And I think there is going to be a push, as we saw in the 90s, around forgiveness for debt in Africa from North American and European countries. I don't see it being a far stretch around a similar momentum generating around, well, is it fair that 
China leveraged, over-leveraged Africa knowingly with very sort of dodgy deals, the details of which a lot of us as an African population are not privy to. Um, and I think there will be this sort of social movement around getting China to, to play its card. It is going to be seen as the global leader that it's trying to position itself as. Well, now you're stepping into very... To, to oh. push back... Go ahead, Kobe. So, sorry, um, just, just briefly, to kind of to push back against that on the other side, is that a lot of the, what was one of the big appeals of the China-Africa relationship was exactly the, the this idea that China is not taking this European paternalistic role and that they are doing just wanting to do business with Africa on a level playing field, that, that kind of narrative. So, you know, kind of like African nations knowingly took on this debt and then, you know, kind of for them to kind of be then again, Put back into the poor, poor Africa. Let's let's forgive their debt. Kind of narrative that itself is also interesting and to me also a little bit dispiriting in a different kind of way. Well, I think it was fallacious from the onset. I think part of the rhetoric around China were an equal playing field has been disputed by African scholars and analysts. We knew very well that this is not a level playing field. And even if you look at the rhetoric that China had around, they don't interfere with government and they're, you know, they're agovernmental and, and they just want to do business and not get involved in politics. That, again, has been disputed because China will secure its assets and its investments. And we've seen the way China informs um, African, politics, uh, African politics to secure its assets. So I think despite the Chinese rhetoric around being an equal playing field, oh, we both suffer imperialism, oh, we both suffer, you know, Western hegemony, that sort of rhetoric, the analysts are very aware that that was just rhetoric. And that was a PR campaign by China to open Africa up um, to get into sort of what it's getting into now. Now, when you're talking about all oh, the poor Africa, it won't be an all oh, poor Africa. I don't think it will be debt forgiveness in the way that we saw um, in the past. It will be debt forgiveness in a manner that perhaps redirects Chinese debt into more productive African economic activities. I don't think it will be a wherewithal debt forgiveness, if you will. It may be a more intelligence restructuring of that debt. But I think China also needs to know that it's not pulling its wool. When we have no blind uh, blindfolds on on Chinese rhetoric and compared to how the Chinese actually function on the continent, so I think China needs to also understand that Africans perhaps are not as naive as 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 they had presumed. So the African Development Bank estimates that the infrastructure deficit across the continent right now is running at about a hundred billion dollars a year. And some people say it'll take about five years to, to fix that deficit or as much as 10 years, which could be as much as a trillion dollars of needed infrastructure. So where's that money going to come from if it doesn't come from China or too much reliance on China? Certainly it's not going to come from the United States. That we're pretty sure no. of right now. Yeah. The Europeans, yeah. you know what? There's a political mood in Europe right now, which isn't really that keen on throwing billions of dollars to oh, Africa. Oh, they're also insular. There's, an ins there's a wave of insularism going across that, North America and Europe. That's right. And so the Chinese now will come out uh, and say the kind of debt that Africans are accruing from Beijing and from other places is actually a good kind of debt. Listen, I owe my bank uh, several hundred thousand dollars for my house. And that's a good kind of debt because I'm building equity. Building a railroad in Kenya that can take cargo much faster to ports that helps the economy grow is good for Kenya rather than building giant dams that the World Bank wanted to do in the 80s and 90s. So my point here is, is the kind of debt, a good, healthy quality of debt that will help the economy grow as the Chinese are per, you know, saying right now? Or are you worried looking out five, 10 years that we're going to be back into where we were in the 1980s and 1990s? 
I think there needs to be a fundamental restructuring of African economies. On one hand, we have really talked about the multiply effect of infrastructure. As a Kenyan country, we've been investing in infrastructure about 15 years now, and we haven't seen the knock-on effects on GDP growth that we had anticipated. And perhaps that is informed by the chronic underinvestment in the sector. And so, you know, that knock-on effect may not pick up until we continue investing. I think the other thing we need to be aware of is that China is also starting to look into African manufacturing. And I think as the ways in China grows and as sort of Trump starts its sort of border tax rhetoric that's going on there, um, what we're finding is that a lot of Chinese companies are coming into Africa for manufacturing. And that will be positive in, in terms of not only the, the wealth creation and the ability for, for Africans to save and invest, and I'm talking here mainly about the East Africa region, um, and the ability of Africans to save and invest and the wealth generation that will happen, but also because it will reorient, it will be part of the process of reorienting our economies from sort of services consumption-driven economies that are very limited to export-driven economies where we're taking on some of the markets in Africa that China used to dominate. So I think we need to understand that the, the infrastructure emphasis of China is very much a government um, rhetoric and government um, strategy, but there's a lot of private sector strategy in China as well getting into building the manufacturing capacity in Africa. And that is something that I think African governments need to think about more strategically in terms of reorienting an economy that generates the forex required to start paying off the debts that, that we're getting into. And Tetsi Ware is an international development economist based in Nairobi and also a weekly columnist for Business Daily newspaper in Nairobi. Uh, and Tetsi, thank you so much for all of your insights on what is no doubt going to be uh, probably the preeminent issue of the next five years in the China-Africa relationship. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to see how China will behave and how Africa will behave and whether we'll go back to our stereotypical behavior, whether we'll evolve to a new level. And we'd like to thank you. And by the way, the goose behind you, we'd also like to thank you as well for joining us, who's been an active <laughs> participant in our show today. I think shouting with alarm at the rising debt levels in China. Hey, Kobus, just quickly before we go, let me get your take on this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of two, two minds on this. On the one hand, I am very, very strong proponent for China of loaning this money. You know, we've talked to people like Kai Xue in Beijing who have said that, you, you know, the Chinese are losing interest uh, in Africa. The, the amount of loans that are going to be going is, are going to be much fewer in the future. Matt Fershen at the Carnegie Tsinghua Center, he points out that the experience in Venezuela, where Venezuela is defaulting on most of its debt, is going to scare the Chinese from extending themselves too far in emerging markets and risky markets, particularly in some places of Africa. So I am, you know, at this point, somewhat still encouraged by the fact that the Chinese are lending and opening up a line of capital to Africa. But at the same time, Ansetsi points out something very interesting, which is that maybe the problem is not on the loaning side, on the Chinese side, but it's on the revenue generation and the governance and the economic reform side in Africa to repay whoever the, the Africans borrow from, whoever Kenya is borrowing from. They're going to have to figure out how they're going to pay this back and restructure their economy. Zambia wasted a wonderful opportunity when copper prices were high to reform its economy. Kenya may be doing, in fact, the same thing right now. So what's your take on, on where you come down on this in terms of optimism or concern? Similar to you, I'm also a mix of the two. The The issue, I think the, the base issue is that without a lot of the, these kind of infrastructure developments, the, you know, East Africa had very little chance of, of developing. Um, so, 
you know, because these these um, infrastructure networks aren't only connecting it to bigger global developments like the Belt and Road Initiative, but it's also integrating several countries within the region. So if Kenya, for example, or like as Ethiopia is doing at the moment, if they if they want to move into infrastructure, their big problem was that they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to get the products out to the neighboring countries anyway. So. That had to be done. It had, you know, kind of that infrastructure had to be built. And once it's built, it opens up so many different opportunities. But at the same time, I am also worried, as as I think all of us are, about the repayment of that. You know, kind of, and about the the particularities of the deals and whether East Africa got a, a good enough deal as they could have, um, and you know, all of these concerns, like like you kind of what, what the weight of, of these loans are going to be on the people of the region. Oh. Um, and yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. This is an interesting topic. We will continue to follow here at the China Africa Project. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we've got all of our various uh, social media channels and platforms that this is one of the topics that people comment most on. So please do share with us what you think of it, uh, and we'll have all of the links uh, coming up very shortly for you to follow. So for the China in Africa podcast, I'm Eric Olander. For Kobus van Staden, thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show or follow China Africa News that's updated every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadenesk or Eric at Eolander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Subscribe to the China Africa podcast on iTunes or download the mobile apps for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone. Just head over to your favorite store and search for China Africa.